It's a Ferrari 1-2 to start the 2022 Formula 1 season after Red Bull Racing collapses with a double-engine retirement late in Bahrain. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and welcome to the start of a brand new season and the Bahrain Grand Prix. Powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and to make resource planning easy, search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. Ferrari could not have hoped for a better start to 2022. Charles Leclerc nabbed pole position, the fastest lap, and won the race, and Carlos Sainz slipped into second late to record a drought-breaking 1-2 finish. En route, Leclerc had to fend off Max Verstappen's advances, but the Dutchman was frustrated to be unable to push his car to the limit around the pit stops to seize an advantage. Instead, Lewis Hamilton completed the podium, despite his uncompetitive Mercedes. And how often do we get to say that? It was a fascinating opening chapter for this new season, with Ferrari snatching an early lead in the championship standings. And to help run through what we learned from this first race of this revolutionary new era, I'm joined by Ed Straw from The Race. Ed, welcome back to the Strategy Report. Yeah, thanks very much for having me and putting up with me again. Great to be here to the first race of a new era. I feel honoured. But I've got to say, at the end of the race, Ferrari won two, Lewis Hamilton on the podium... Surely we've got to assume Red Bull was glory running during testing and Mercedes was sandbagging the whole time, right? <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit more to it. Than that. I think Ferrari, uh, Ferrari were a little bit quicker than I expected because it looked like on the long runs in testing they were maybe about three tenths down, but their pace was really, really good here. So they were right there with, with Red Bull. And yeah, I think Red Bull, a few items not ticked off in testing proved quite costly for them. And yeah, Mercedes a bit quicker than they thought they'd be but damage limitation and what a great damage limitation job <laughs> they did do in the end they're actually ahead of Red Bull in the Constructors Championship which I'll be delighted with an incredible turn of events we will get a little bit to how testing influenced this race later on because in some respects being only a week apart same track the race is almost like a part two to the test we can think about it but let's talk a little bit about those rules and that new generation that is Formula One in 2022 and I want to see what you think about the the really broad competitive picture. I know it's only one race. We obviously did have a bit of an unusual outcome compared to what the majority of the race was leading up to, but how much of a handle do you feel like we've got on that overall competitive picture now that we have actually had legitimate time sessions, competitive sessions, and a full race weekend? Well, it certainly told us where they are now, but (laughs) I think we will see quite a few shuffle, certainly in the first half of the season. That's what the teams are expecting. There's a number of teams there who are held back by problems and because it's all related to the porpoising and how high you can run your car if you have to run it a little bit higher so things aren't working. There is the potential there for for there almost to be a light switch moment where if you get the floor and everything right, you can run at the height you want to and suddenly there's a big chunk of time there. That's certainly what Mercedes is hoping will prove to be the case. I don't think it's going to be the work of a moment, so it's not kind of we go to Saudi Arabia and it's completely transformed, but there's a number of teams there who are held back, should we say. But we also see the teams that are less so. Ferrari got a lot done in testing. They didn't change the car much during testing. They made a big virtue of this, the drivers. And yeah, they understood the car. They got the most out of it. Red Bull had the late upgrade and didn't quite check everything in testing. So that that perhaps meant they were a little bit behind uh, where they were. And yeah, Mercedes kind of grinding away to close up there. So I feel we've got the snapshot of the competitive order as it is now, but there's going to be quite a bit of volatility in it but I think we can be fairly confident that Ferrari have taken a a good step forward they'll be very very pleased with that but exactly how it's going to shake out it's going to take some time but we could see a similar kind of story in Saudi Arabia this weekend potentially albeit 
a very different set of track characteristics. I feel like I should have set up this episode with a timer about the first time we'd mentioned porpoising in this episode. Because it is the first episode of the year. Had to get out of the way. We've gone two minutes. Porpoising or porpoising, depending on who you are and your accent, I suppose. I would certainly go with porpoising personally. You mentioned Ferrari there. Their test program was very stable, very self-assured as well, I think. And as you said, they did make this great virtue of of having fundamentally the same car for the duration and and really getting an understanding of it. Red Bull, on the other hand, had a a relatively substantial update on the very final day of the test. In fact, the very final afternoon, I think it was as well. And it seemed to work fine. The car looked quick up until then. On that last afternoon, obviously, they used it to set the pace of testing and subsequently looked quick over the course of this race. The development is obviously going to be very interesting this season because that's what it's going to be all about. There's going to be, to a certain extent, a lot of low-hanging fruit very early on, and then as development becomes more nuanced, we'll get sort of different outcomes and that kind of thing. But Ferrari is obviously yet to bring that first major update. I don't know whether we want to call that last day update from Red Bull Racing their first big package, considering it was in the pre-season, but it is different in the sense that Ferrari hasn't brought anything at all. I guess that's really going to be their first test, isn't it? Putting aside what the era of it looks like, because obviously, you know, you can only know when it's on the car. But the second side of this battle is that efficiency of development, isn't it? Picking your battles, picking what your developments are. I guess that is, you know, Ferrari can nail that first big upgrade package. There'll be several over the course of the year, of course. But that's really, I guess, the test of how sustainable the challenge is going to be for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's all about your development curve, isn't it? And how much upside and potential there is in your concept in an extreme case it could just be that ferrari come up with a car that they understand well it's working well but it's pretty close to its potential anyway i don't mm. think that's the case but that's what's going to dictate if they can actually stay there at the front all the way through the year i don't think they're going to drop to deep in the midfield or anything but yeah it remains to be seen what the potential is there and of course not everybody had the same level of investments in terms of the these new cars we had the aero testing restrictions on CFD and wind tunnels that it's kind of a, a handicap system so that the better you are off in the championship the the less resources you've got plus Red Bull and Mercedes were embroiled in this title fight last year while others were more focused on this year so that's a factor that that's that's played into it so that there's a lot of things that mean different teams are at different stages and because that development curve is quite steep at the start of any new regulation if you're a few weeks behind that's a lot bigger than being a few weeks behind in a steady state set of rules. So, yeah, it, it, the real question is who's got the most upside in their in their concepts? And I don't think we can say for sure what that is now and, and what's the point when everybody moves along that curve of diminishing returns and can no longer find big steps because a few people in teams have said, well, once everybody's got the car sorted, it's going to be about trying to find areas for aero gains because they're quite limited. And are we going to see, this will probably be next year, people doing ever more extreme solutions, weird and wonderful suspension geometries within what they're allowed to do because they've been simplified as well this year. Can you cut back the side pods even more ludicrously uh, with your packaging to exploit a new area where you can where you can do this? That That's something that people can only speculate on uh, at, at the moment. So... Yeah, I'm not going to keep saying this, but it, it, it's going to play out over the coming races and, and teams will settle down into a, a proper place in the uh, in the competitive order. And when we can see some of the ones who are really struggling catapulting forward if they, they get things working. Let's have a look at how this race unfolded. The battle for pole was really close, went to Ferrari when I guess pre-race expectations were that it was probably going to be Max Verstappen, although again, it was very close. And he led from pole and controlled that early part of the race. 
it seemed like Ferrari probably has a little bit of an engine engine power. That's what Red Bull Racing certainly said. Sergio Perez noted that they couldn't quite live with them on the straights. That seemed to give Ferrari a bit of an opportunity to put a little bit more downforce on ahead of qualifying two, and we saw that the tyre life was subsequently better. But I want to look at the, the flashpoint, particularly around that first pit stop window, because this was what seemed like Red Bull's only opportunity to try and get ahead, given the pace just was not quite there. Let's start, first of all, with the on-track battling before we look at what Verstappen's complaints were about the strategy itself. He tried, ultimately, three times to get past Leclerc, all in the same sort of way. I thought it was interesting the way Leclerc talked about his tactics, the idea of letting Verstappen through to get the DRS on the run down to turn four. But by that same token, interesting, too, that Verstappen kept trying the same technique, a bit of a blunt instrument approach, I guess. Is that sort of indicative of the fact that that was the only place Red Bull potentially had a way to get past Ferrari? And I guess by that same token, how good Ferrari was in this race? Yeah, it is an interesting case. Charles Leclerc was very proud of his (laughs) tactics in battle, but Verstappen will have understood that as well. So I think you're right. There was probably a reason why Max felt he had had to keep going and in the end obviously he had that lock up at the third attempt which which pretty much stymied the challenge in in that stint so I don't, I don't see why he wouldn't have been able to attack in the in the second DRS so mm-hmm. so maybe it just needed a little bit more patience and at least to have what I'd like to have seen him at least have one go at doing it that way and just to see how Leclerc will react when they suddenly got stuck in a bit of a slow bicycle race to the activation <laughs> point for that so, that straight on the run to to turn four so yeah. Leclerc seemed to have that fairly well covered and, and good good patience. That alternatively, it could just be that Verstappen's approach is generally, if there's a chance, go for it and then try and kind of race your way to to stay ahead. But yeah, it never really looked like he was he was going to be able to to make it stick. So yeah, it was interesting the way that one played out, and probably he was determined to make the most of the the run he could get on the on the main straight. But there's not very much you can do there because yeah you can compromise the car behind exit a little bit with the way you place the car through two and three but ultimately there's that run to four and there's a way around the outside there there's a way up the inside there and we didn't see many people able to hold people with DRS off there when they were in a, in a, in a proper battle so yeah you'd have to say very well played Charles Leclerc there. Yeah and the Ferrari did seem to have that great traction at this traction limited track I suppose although it's interesting balance of dynamics i guess with these new cars that seem more front limited than usual because of the way they're locking up but that is a broader conversation i guess for over the course of the season verstappen was frustrated you touched on it there we heard a lot in the the radio messages all very entertaining of course but felt almost fundamentally like he shouldn't have had to battle his way past the clerk because had he and this is his opinion had a more aggressive, been allowed to have a more aggressive outlap from that first stop, he may well have just emerged ahead of Leclerc. We know the undercut's pretty powerful in Bahrain because of the way the, the tyres degrade. I thought was interesting here was that Christian Horner sort of afterwards, and of course he's going to defend the decision at the end of the day, but said, well, you know, you, if you pay that now, the, the aggressive lap, you'll, you'll pay for that at the end of the stint. You'll run out of tyres, and tyres did seem to be a bit of a problem for Red Bull. But that to me sounds quite conservative for Red Bull thinking, doesn't it? I mean, normally they... We'll just try things on. And I wonder whether or not that's because they are now essentially the hunted team. Yes, they didn't win the Constructors title, but obviously one of the, the leading front runners. Or whether that's sort of a first race conservatism, not knowing the full extent of the car. Because I feel like in years past, that would be clearly the way Verstappen would go about it. Yeah, there's probably a little bit of a lack of familiarity. They were ultimately on the back foot from qualifying because I think it was possible for Verstappen to get pole. I don't think it was a great disaster mm-hmm. or blunder on his part that he didn't, but didn't have a great prep lap. They didn't quite get the front wing flap level 
right. So that would have changed things had they had the trap position. But yeah, and if you look at those undercuts, that they weren't super close going into it. And I think the fact that Leclerc could keep a little bit of a cushion was quite helpful it was interesting actually because there was talk that the undercut wouldn't be quite so powerful because the tire blanket temperatures Mm -hmm. are are lower this year i think it's 70 degrees all round that actually wasn't much of a problem because it's bahrain although it was a cold (laughs) bahrain by bahrain standards it was still relatively warm it is right that if you go hard on the tires early on you will pay a price later in the stint but at the same time you need to find track position some way don't you and actually if you look at the the way the outlaps work I don't think Verstappen's outlaps were particularly slow certainly not compared to Leclerc yeah there were a few swings either way depending on uh the the there was a mistake for Leclerc on uh on one of his inner outlaps um so there there was the chance for for errors or slow stops to swing things around but yeah ultimately Leclerc just had a, enough of a, of a of a cushion to 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 do it and the, the undercut was powerful but not powerful enough to make up that whole that whole step and we didn't see vast amounts of people undercutting and uh, each other at least ones that actually then stuck should mm-hmm. we say we saw Gasly manage to undercut Magnussen but Magnussen got back past pretty quickly but I would have been interested to see what would have happened had Verstappen had track position because I think it was one of those ones where the performance of those two cars was similar enough that whoever had track position would have had control and then we'd have maybe reversed the situation with a clerk attacking through through turn one and who knows how that would have played out but yeah it wasn't the kind of attacking approach you normally expect from red bull yeah they they launched the undercuts which was which is good and then they launched that third stop as well and ferrari seemed to be intending to go to the end with a clerk so that could have made things quite interesting had red bull not hit problems and not been the safety car but yeah i, I think they probably hoped in the race they'd be able to get trap position a lot more easily, but it, it just wasn't to be. That third stop is an interesting one as well because we obviously never saw how it was going to pan out because of the safety car, as you said, and it was a pretty steep hill to climb for Verstappen. It was something like uh, 20-odd seconds in 12 or 13 laps. It, it was pretty significant. It needed to be more than two seconds a lap, essentially, for that final part of the race, and it was only just a little bit under two seconds in that first lap. So the math suggests Ferrari was right in leaving Leclerc out, not worrying too much about it. But that seems to me, you know, if this is going to be a Ferrari title challenge, that's the the only question mark left, right? Like we know that if they've sorted the engine out, that's good. The car's obviously fundamentally quick now. We don't know how to evolve over time, but they're two big ticks. Over the last couple of years, it's Ferrari on the pit wall that's been pretty questionable, whether it's you know, unusual tyre choices, seeming to forget two cars are out there with Ferrari colours on them. It seems like a lot's been tidied up in the last couple of years of Ferrari, hasn't it? This isn't a great example, given that it didn't end up panning out one way or the other. But how much of a test is that going to be of Ferrari's resolve this year to, to get those crunch calls against a team like Red Bull? Very good on the pit wall, correct? Yeah, they've had a big push on that over the past couple of years. Even if you look at their pit stops last season, I think mm. by their own metrics, they were something like the ninth best or the second worst <laughs> in 2020 on pit stops. But they were up to third by their own evaluation last year. So that's just an example of the things they've been trying to sharpen up while they've been recovering so they're in a position to actually execute these races well and they did it pretty well uh, here in Bahrain but yeah it is a team that hasn't got so much familiarity with winning in the past few years but I do think that actually getting this one too early doors is quite an important thing because it just calms everything down it means that 
there's no chance for politics to arise that they've got that win on the board and almost they could go another half a season without without getting <laughs> getting another victory but they've they've done it and they've got it on the board and they're at the front so i think that's important for any team to not have to try too hard if you had a few minor defeats you might start losing confidence or trying to do things a bit differently because you think your strategies aren't quite right or whatever and sometimes you can get into a spiral doing that so i think that the security offered by by getting that win is is quite important but it is true obviously red bull and mercedes are very battle hardened at the front and ferrari are going to have to show on a sustained basis that they can live with that when it comes to the strategies and not making errors and and getting those key calls right but that team has been through quite a long process of, of soul searching and it does seem that they've managed to get things in quite a good place in that regard we'll see how it goes if, if things start to go against them but yeah I, I do think that getting that win on the board a one-two as well is going to be a great sort of stabilizer to ensure there isn't any undue extra pressure on that team and they can just get on with doing their job from now on yeah and in fact the fastest pit stops for each of um science and leclerc were faster than the corresponding verstappen and, and perez one so a good sign already in that pit stop count maybe they will be the least worst or most best on their own counting charts for pit stops let's look at that reliability question though because that was ultimately decisive in red bull's outcome you could argue maybe if even they got the lead they were going to not win the race anyway because of this two similar or probably realistically the same engine problem for Perez and Verstappen within a couple of laps of one another that also came off the back of Verstappen suffering track rock damage he also talked about brake issues in the race we've also got the same engine in Pierre Gasly's car suffering a a stoppage late in the race for a different problem looked like an energy recovery problem what do we know principally about the Red Bull issues of course because they're the headline ones about that problem in particular because they weren't clear on it at the end of the race and how serious is it because you know little gremlins are fine i guess in grand prix racing when you've got such a long calendar but obviously something this is no coincidence if it's happening to both cars yeah it, it does appear to be the same problem they haven't said publicly what's going on we, we've got a, a reasonable working theory that seems to fit in with all the facts in that it's basically related to the switch to e10 fuel so that's now 10 percent renewable uh sustainable ethanol that has to be uh has to be 10 percent of the the fuel it means the fuel's at a slightly higher temperature and it does seem that they ended up with uh with with fuel cavitation so that's when later on when there's not so much fuel in the tank sloshing around a lot you're getting temperature build up and then you you, you can end up in a, in a in a vapor lock situation that also damages the the the, the fuel pump so yeah you, you just end up not with the fuel feed correctly to the fuel pump so there's a there's sort of a a um a sort of brief fuel starvation and then you start damaging <laughs> damaging your fuel pump and you and you can't get fuel into the car that seems to be the rough area where they've struggled and, and ultimately it's because they didn't run a proper race simulation to to see exactly what happened when they got into this condition which I'm slightly surprised by yes they were a bit distracted by throwing that big upgrade on at the end of the test which was one that worked pretty well because although it was a, a decent step it was not uh, a change of concept it was just what they had but more so bigger undercut bit more downwash from the top of the side pod so it was going in the, the same direction so you'd have thought they'd have had time to, to check this and a lot of other teams were aware of the problem even those who hadn't had the problem were aware it could have been there it should be fairly simple to solve but it could come at a price because you might just have a bit more fuel in the tank there to, to make sure you don't get down into that and given that teams are struggling to get down to the the weight limit 
Red Bull seems to be one of the ones that are struggling particularly. Having to have a few extra kilos in the car isn't going to be <laughs> ideal for them. I'm sure they, they won't have the same problem in Saudi because it should be easy enough to, for them to solve as it may create some problems with the management of the, the fuel resources but as long as there's the space in the tank for a little bit of a, a, a of a security blanket shall we say that that's okay and then they can maybe look at some way to to modify their fuel system to, to reduce the chance of this happening but yeah a, a big blow for them and this is a point in the season where we thought they'd be banking big points when they've got nothing on the board obviously Perez it was on the last lap he he had that we'll see exactly what Red Bull say about this this problem because they haven't talked a great deal about it so yeah a, a bad start especially as it's their own engine sort of yeah. now it's not their own engine it's a Honda one they're still supplying it but should we say it's a test of the the redefined parameters of that relationship should we say in, in terms of how they how they fix it and whether there's a, a, a bigger fix that they can implement down the line yeah and i was going to raise exactly the same because it is an interesting situation for red bull isn't it we know they've had all sorts of relationship troubles with their previous supplier renault and the naming of that engine as a result of a relationship breakdown so you couldn't blame obviously a sponsor but you could blame renault if you winked hard enough and made sure everyone knew what you're saying we do have this situation now where it is a red bull branded engine three red bull branded engine problems failures in in one race but obviously they are honda motors it really is no more complicated than it being a honda engine fundamentally but how you know i can see that potentially being a sort of i guess a tension point if you like going forward given it is a bit of a shadow uh, relationship i guess yeah it, it's just a, a different way of doing it you can almost say honda's got a, a service contract mm. <laughs> as, as it won't and it has developed the engine for this year so that that engine should be working well and Honda are going to be prepping them for for the long term but yeah it's different the dynamic is is just fundamentally different because it's it's not quite the same thing as if there's a Honda problem that you know the board's not going to be worried about it. It, it it's they are supplying engines that are technically Red Bull engines so Red Bull has to have a go at itself <laughs> to do it but it, it's powertrain's operation isn't you know that's still building up so that this is absolutely a, a, a honda engine so I'd, I'd expect honda to to get on top of it but yeah the thing that just puzzles me is why wasn't that something that was really got on top of in, in testing that should have been fairly high up the, the the priority list i would have thought and you could argue that had honda been fully engaged in the same way maybe they'd have pushed harder for for the need to do this and perhaps Red Bull's own priorities for their their run plans etc w- was different because of that we don't really know that that's just one little area where a small shift might have made a difference in terms of the the, the way the, the the influence and the, the oversight works they'll be hoping it was just going to be a, a one-off but it's a very very costly one-off I suppose just a relief for them that they weren't running one and two as many people expected yeah. they might be yeah. uh, when it happened it is really interesting isn't it because you know, it's tempting to believe coming into this season that Mercedes and Red Bull's focus on last year would have meant that they were a little bit off the pace this year. In fact, Mercedes is a little bit off the pace this year, but Red Bull's come through it pretty well. And then what seems like a, could be born, really, of a, of a strange mistake in the scheduling of testing undoes what should have been a pretty strong result. But I guess that remains to be seen. Let's talk about Mercedes uh, briefly here. Obviously, there's been a lot of coverage of their problems over the course of the weekend. I think people sort of understand in a, in a basic sense what's going on there the car is just not working they brought an upgrade package halfway through the test and just haven't quite got a handle on it 
it looked like it made some small, very small steps over the course this weekend. It looked like after a practice, it seemed to be porpoising or porpoising less aggressively. I enjoy saying that. Uh, but, you know, these are not eight-hour days anymore. You know, we've only got three hours of practice and then qualifying in the race. What is the feeling now that they have seen the full performance of that car over a race weekend in terms of that recovery? Because even after pre-season testing, we're talking about, well, it'll be a matter of time before they can be title contenders this season. Is it still the feeling that they can recover enough to be in that fight? Or is it really a recovery to maybe win some races and then be better next season? Yeah, I think with the the volatility I mentioned in the development war, it is perfectly possible for them to do so. But obviously, the longer it goes on, the, the, the bigger the problem is. It does seem that although the the problem lies in several different areas, if you can get the the airflow regime working on that car, run it as low as you want, not have the the bouncing and not have to run at a higher ride height than ideal, there is a load of performance there that should allow them to take a step forward. So if they can get everything working, there could be a light switch moment where suddenly the car picks up armfuls of time and it's it's at the front or off in the distance even if things go really well that's kind of what Mercedes are hoping will happen but at the same time while they're confident in their processes and that they will get to a point where they solved it they can't say with absolute certainty oh four five six seven ten races down the line will be there so they'll be in this damage damage limitation mode for 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 a while I, I would imagine so yeah, it all depends whether there's something fundamentally in that car that means that that porpoising is going to be a problem indefinitely and it requires a, a bigger fix or not. So, yeah, it could go either way for for Mercedes. They just need to hang in there. If Hamilton and Russell could come away with third and fourth places for a few races, they'll be very happy with that. But they were absolutely resoundingly the third best team they were kind of in a bit of a no man's land they would have been totally fifth and sixth in a normal race with the Red Bulls uh, not having a problem obviously Perez had to uh, get back past Hamilton and didn't find that particularly difficult to do so yeah there's a lot of work to do there but I think the hope is that it won't be one of those sort of slow long development grinds to get up to the level but there could be a nice step change for them but whether that happens and whether they can make it work is, is the big question their record says yeah, you'd expect them to find it. But it's one thing to say, if we fix this, there's a load of performance there. It's another thing to understand how to to do it because it's just not very simple. And these are very, very different types of cars to, to be understood. Meanwhile, as I mentioned before, everyone else who's in good shape is off developing and finding new performance rather than trying to consolidate the performance they think they should have. It's an impossible question to answer in many respects because, as you said, the rules are so new there is this potential that someone does find big gains, whether it's because they unlock a, or solve a problem that they have or they just find performance through the natural development cycle. But you know, we're talking about around 7 tenths for Mercedes and they seem pretty confident they're going to find it. I want to bring McLaren in here because if there was one surprise this weekend, I think it was just McLaren's form. The slowest car at the end of the race. There was no car slower than the McLaren. Uh that's more than a second in qualifying, uh, comfortably lapped in the race had there been no safety car. How much time, in your opinion, and again, this is a, in a sense a guess or an educated guess considering the new rules, stretches incredulity, I guess, for recovery? Because in no other season can I think of a team that started more than a second off the pace and still for there to be hope that, you know, maybe they can make this season come good in the end. Yeah, again, it's a different problem for 
McLaren, in fact, the porpoising side of mm-hmm. things, they seem to have pretty well under control. But they did make a miscalculation with their brake cooling capacity. They've, they've admitted that. That caused all sorts of problems in the Bahrain test. They had some new parts for the last day. They then had a, a, a new set of parts for the start of the, the Bahrain Grand Prix weekend, but they were still in a bit of a battle there. I think the key is there whether the solution they've got there, which is not really what they want, is having such a big impact on the aero, which it can do, because that whole, obviously, the front wheel wake and the the, the airflow to those uh, the throats of the venturis and around side of the sidebars is absolutely critical. That's almost your your key airflow regime in terms of making everything work. So it could be that if they can find a spec of, of the brake ducts that that works as they want it to, then it switches the car back on and, and things are working. But because they were just giving away downforce, they just didn't have the grip. That is worrying for McLaren because. Other than that, they were saying everything was working pretty much as simulated, so they were quite confident. Even going into the weekend, we thought, actually, fundamentally, McLaren could easily have the fourth-best car because the pace is there. It was running quite well in, in Barcelona. But, yeah, big limitation caused there, and, uh, and they need to find a brake duct and brake configuration solution that means they've got that cooling capacity that isn't compromising the rest of the car. And that can be very, very, very complicated open-wheel race cars that that wheel wake is is so difficult to to get right it's quite difficult to simulate precisely and obviously you've got all those problems with it's not just a, a going in a straight line is it it's it's the the way it, the, the aero works when you've got lock on etc the car's in your and all these things so it's a complicated old area that so again it could be one of those things that it's a quick fix but at the same time they've tried the quick fix and it hasn't worked so i'm thinking this could be something that there is that potential in the car and they could unlock it but I think this one could take a little bit longer maybe than it could for some of the other strugglers uh, the, the likes of, of Mercedes but that's just a that's just a guess it's going to be pretty tough for them and yeah the barring weekend was was pretty horrible because they, they, they were just nowhere and they they tried putting mm. hard tires on just in the hope of something happening and because the hard tires weren't very good they just went even less <laughs> less quickly so yeah I think McLaren will be will be quite concerned. It, it's it's recoverable. If it was last season and steady state rules, you say no. There is at least a problem there that you can point to. But yeah, concerning and yeah, even getting back to the front of that midfield pack is going to be quite a quite a big ask. It was interesting as well. They approached the race. You touched on it there. It seemed like they were just seeing if anything was going to work. I do like the Bahrain Grand Prix. Every year, someone tries a one stop even though it has not really ever worked in recent years or very, very rarely with some big asterisks on them as it worked. And Lando Norris, again, could not make a one-stop strategy work. Both cars started on the medium tyres as well, the only ones to start on the mediums, and both suffered off the line resultantly because they required a lot of warm-up. I want to take a look at this race overall as well, some of the potential lessons we've picked up looking, of course, ahead to this weekend's race in Saudi Arabia and the rest of the season. It was the first test of the idea of whether or not it's easier to overtake. Also, the first real full-blooded test, I guess, for the Pirelli tyres, which are new this year as well. Uh, And all those things, of course, interact a little bit with one another. How far away do you get the sense the teams are from from having, let's say, a little bit more of an old-school handle on how those tyres are behaving. Let's start with the tyres, because they are a little bit different. It felt a lot like the teams really feeling their way through this race in terms of how those tyres were behaving. And, I mean, Mercedes, for example, one of the few teams to try all compounds. I mean, they didn't have much on the line, I guess. They were solidly no-man's land, as you said, but they figured some of those things out. 
how far away are those ties from being understood? Because I know Pirelli even said that the gaps between the compounds were bigger than even they were expecting. Yeah, there's still a lot to be learned there. They were aiming for basically half a second mm-hmm. performance around an average lap in terms of the steps. But yeah, we were seeing much bigger gaps between the compounds, kind of a second, 1.2 seconds <laughs> uh, uh, difference in that in that peak performance. And the thing is, it's all well and good in testing, trying the, the seeing what the tyres are doing, and also with the mule car testing they've done previously hitting upon certain characteristics but it's only really once you're in proper live racing situations that you really understand that obviously the tires are meant to have slightly more kind of progressive deg allow drivers to push harder for for longer and not have the surface overheating problems and they do seem to have made some progress in that area but our aim's not the best measure of a tires because it's always it's always going to be a problematic one it's not only is it usually relatively hot here but it's an abrasive surface and it's uh, a very traction sensitive circuit as well because of the configuration so this is always going to be one of your less generous circuits for 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 tires i think they'll be a little bit disappointed by how much management there was going on in the race even so that is a little bit of a, a concern so i think pirelli have made some progress but these aren't the kind of push 100% all the time no overheating tires that everyone wants although we should say that you know the laws of physics mean that that will be in effect and we can look back to the Bridgestone in the air and say well Bridgestone could produce these tires that would run all day but those were much lighter cars we should say mm. these, these cars have got very very heavy they even got even heavier for this race weekend because they put the minimum weight up another three kilos so what's that seven nine eight kilos yeah. minimum weight so it's, it's tough for, for for Pirelli so I think there's a big asterisk by the, the progress Pirelli have made. I don't think it's quite as good as maybe hoped, but it's it's okay. And you're right that teams will learn more and more and more. They'll have learned a huge amount from the race th- this weekend. And as they go from circuit to circuit, they'll, they'll build up that understanding in, in, in the way the tyres work and how you can get the best out of them in terms of sustaining that performance over a stint. And that's the thing. Everyone wants the fact drivers can push 100% all the time, but there's always going to be some element of management there because spending all your resources as quickly as you can is not always the most strategic way to go about things. So, yeah, some uh, some reserving judgment, I think, needs to go on on, on, the, on the Pirelli side. It's not a disaster, but I'm, I'm not sure it's absolutely brilliant either. And similar, I suppose, on these rules for following. Similar in the sense that Bahrain is, I mean, it is one circuit, isn't it? And Bahrain's typically not been that problematic for overtaking, certainly since it became a night race. We often see passing here and it seemed more or less on brand for Bahrain, the kind of racing we got there. I thought it was interesting that it, you know, there seemed like there was some optimism during the testing. Uh, after the race, there was, I wouldn't say pessimism, but a little bit less optimism, I suppose, that the rules have made a massive difference. The massive difference that uh, I guess the F1 statistics suggested might be on offer when the car was launched uh, a couple of years ago now. Does it feel like we've made at least a little bit of a step forward here? Or is the, like, for example, Leclerc Verstappen battle maybe just a little bit misleading because of circumstances i think we have to reserve judgment on that bahrain can produce those sorts of of races obviously the drs played a big part in that particular battle i think we can say the cars can follow a little bit more closely so certainly the wake has been improved so that that is a positive but we just need a bigger sample set of data even Mm -hmm. ross braun said that that last night I mean, obviously he was saying well yeah we had a good race but it was put to him well we've had some good races here before <laughs> to which his response is well I can remember some pretty boring season openers here and it's like well yeah so 
you need to kind of separate out the factors. One of the reasons there was a good close battle at the front is that there were two teams at a similar sort of pace. That's always quite important. Mm-hmm. And that's actually something that the rules can't completely control, even though it is one of the concepts of these rules that they're prescriptive enough that things are quite tight. So, yeah, I, I don't think you can take one race and say it's it, it's a, an evaluation of the, the, the success of the rules. We've got some cautiously positive signs about about the following in particular but again we need to go elsewhere see what happens when you go to a Barcelona Albert Park isn't a circuit Mm -hmm. where you generally see a huge amount of overtaking and there's you know that's that's a generally a front limited circuit and these cars are understeering a bit particularly in the slower and medium speed corners so we'll see how the the tyres work there as well and I think we'll get a, a better picture over a range of, uh, of circuits although obviously F1 will want to celebrate this is great yeah the, 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 this is proof that the rules have, have really really worked again I would say similar with Pirelli that they've worked to an extent but how much they've achieved that increased raceability whether it's a big step forward or just sort of a a, a minor incremental improvement does remain to be seen and finally, Ed, this weekend, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, very different kind of circuit. I mean, it's a very different kind of circuit to any kind of circuit, really, this Jeddah track that we'll be racing at probably for a little bit longer than anticipated. It's a very high-speed street circuit, but street circuits also seem like they're going to be a little bit of a weakness for these cars, given their performance in, in slow-speed corners and, of course, the weight of the cars as well. What's your gut feeling on what we should be expecting this weekend from this generation of machinery, given this is such a... I mean, it's really quite a dramatic track when you boil it down. Yeah, the, the high speed is the interesting thing because high speed can lead to the to the porpoising. So I think that could be a little bit of a challenge for a, for a few teams. They've slightly tweaked the track as well. A few of the sight lines have been improved by them opening up the corners. So maybe it'll be a little bit harder to have those kind of accidents where someone goes off and someone else mm. follows them in. But it's going to be a very, very different set of, of demands because it's a very different track surface. Yeah, very, very fast circuit we've got quite a few of those sort of left right combinations as well where you're carrying pretty decent speed through it so it's it's a totally different set of demands for the for the cars really so again this will give us another dramatically different circuit to evaluate how things are are working but again it's a weird circuit really the the jedical niche circuit it's not it's not very close to the middle of the spectrum i think we have have to wait a little bit longer obviously go to albert park and imola Imola probably is is about the most standard track you could say because it's quite quite an aero track as well that one might give us a, a better idea but yeah different performance sensitivities as well obviously powers there there is important but you don't have all these low speed traction zones where that power has to be deployed so we'll get a better idea about the engine performance the Ferrari engine performance looked great the Mercedes engine performance looks a bit concerning as well mm-hmm. but then again all the Mercedes teams are having yeah. one variety of struggle or, or other so we can't quite separate the the car from the, the the power unit in that regard so we'll get a little bit more of an indication this weekend and yeah a, a, a different set of performance sensitivities will change that battle at the front between Red Bull and and Ferrari. I don't think it's going to transform anything for for Mercedes. You think they might struggle even even more because of the the track configuration, but every every team saying the same thing. They don't 100% know. They've got ideas, but because they're still learning so much about these cars, there's a lot of into the unknown. It's going to be into the unknown for quite a few races as they fill in the gaps of their understanding and how the car responds and if they have got problems that they don't pick up 
because they've only run at two circuits so far. You might go to a, a circuit like Jeddah and suddenly there's something in your car that you didn't know was there that's being being set off. So, yeah, uh, there's potential for a lot, a lot of shift around. And, yeah, as, as I've said earlier, we'll see quite a few performance shifts from, from circuit to circuit. And we need to get a bit of a picture when it comes to, say, Ferrari and Red Bull that look similar on pace. What are the characteristics of track that play to their advantage in in that particular battle? And then, yeah, what effect does that have also in terms of shuffling that that midfield pack that's quite tightly congested? It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a very interesting season, and let's hope it gets close to the drama, I suppose. Most of the drama of last year, not all of it, obviously, not the unpleasant parts. Ed, a pleasure as always to have you on the show to talk about the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Let's hope the rest of the season delivers as much drama as we had in Bahrain. What an interesting race to start the season. The jury is still out on just how effective these new regulations are on some of F1's long-running bugbears, but thankfully we still have two cars in the title fight and a midfield that's tightened up compared to last year. And Red Bull Racing's double retirement has brought precious time for Mercedes to catch up. If it can recover in about a month, then it could well be game on at the front. Thanks very much to Ed Straw for joining me to wrap it all up. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Just search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato, and it's good to be back. I'll catch you next week for an analysis of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix.